Let's take off, baby. Let's just drive, honey, into the night sky, to the sunset shine, into the day, baby. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Summer is waning and Halloween is right around the corner. The Niles Screen Park is ready and raring for scaring. Gardeners have yet another reason to visit Detroit with the opening of the Odolf Garden on Belle Isle. Beer festivals are back and ready for the test, the taste test, and they're fire dancing in Michigan. We travel Michigan next, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling. Welcome to Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. It's good to be back with you again this week as we check out what's happening in the travel world of Pure Michigan. And boy, are we ready to get back out there because, guess what? I know it's hard to believe, but fall is right around the corner. That's not as bad a saying as winter is for a lot of people. I know a lot of you just love summer and you, you don't want to see it go. Well, I'm the kind of guy that can't wait for fall. Frankly, can't wait for winter either, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about some fall activities. And of course, that means Halloween is right around the corner. It's time to scare if you dare by going to the Niles Haunted House, one of the best-known haunted houses in all the country, and here it is in Michigan. And to tell us all about it, let's bring in Pete Karlowitz. He is the park manager from the one and only Niles Scream Park. And Pete, it's good to have you back. David, it's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you bet. Now, I don't remember, were you allowed to operate last fall? It seems like you were. And your memory is correct. Yes, we were. We had lots of COVID protocol, but we were open for the entire season. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's good that uh, you're back again this year. So you're opening up, what, on the 10th of September, right? That is correct. And so what do you have in store for us this year uh, to uh, scare the dickens out of us? Oh, oh, David, we have lots of things. We, do we? Is this a two-hour show? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Let's, let's give the highlights. All right. The highlights are we have five major attractions. We're a 44-acre screen park. We have our mainstay attraction, which is known as the Haunted House. And then we have uh, a couple of other attractions that are uh, in a smaller capacity, so to speak. One's called Nuclear Nightmare. The other is the Gruesome Gallery. Then we move outside. Uh, one of our attractions outside is called the Field of Screams. It takes about 45 minutes to get through it. And then we have the Dark Terroratory Haunted Hayride, which is about a 20-minute ride. So let's go through each of them individually for a few moments, if you would. First, the Haunted House. Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff, but the Haunted House is an interior haunt you can't see it in one trip. There's about 30 different rooms that you traverse through. Um, preceding it, you have a long outdoor walk 
over bridges, foggy areas, etc. When you leave it, there's an also a very, very long walk outside. We've got a really cool 1880s village this year for outside. Um, it's just awesome. I mean, we've, we went all out this year uh, building this stuff. I guess I so, don't understand the 1880s village. That, that's not other homes. Is it like a miniature 1880s village? Correct. It's a miniature village. It's uh-huh. p- part of the uh, walkway when you leave the haunted house. You have a long trail because we're not going to let you go just yet once you're out of the building. And there are four or five buildings that are from the 1880s genre that you walk through as uh-huh. as part of it. But they're all haunted, of course. Yes. And then the house itself, are, are we talking multi-level? No, it's one level. But there are basically two sides to it. And as you go through it, although you don't realize it, you're jumping back and forth from the left side to the right side, depending upon what the person called a group breaker does with you. They break up the groups so that you're not close to the group in front of you. You can't see the scare. And, of course, that also helps in this day and age with spacing the groups out for the COVID protocol. Well, Pete, I know we only have a couple more minutes, so let's kind of speed through some of the details of the other attractions. Okay, the Nuclear Nightmare is also an interior haunt. It has about 10 rooms. Uh, another one is called the Gruesome Gallery. That also has about 10 rooms that you go through interior. The Field of Screams is an outdoor haunt. It takes you about 45 minutes to walk through it. It also has an 1800 village that's part of it. And... It, it probably has about 10 different themes. takes pe- most people about 45 minutes to get through it. Then, for those that are not quite as adventurous, we have the Dark Territory Haunted Hayride. Uh, it's about a 20-minute ride on a hayride. It's a little more of a safe feeling since you're on a hay wagon and uh, you're not easily accessible to the actors. That makes sense. And you know, I've told you a million times, I'm not much into getting scared. So uh, for the uh, for the folks who want a milder experience, what do you recommend? Definitely recommend the Hayride. That's much easier for the people. One other attraction that we've had for a few years is called Hooded. That's the exact end of the spectrum. You have to be an adult. You have to sign a waiver you will be touched by the actors. Um, and it's an extremely intense experience. And David, we've been talking for so long, I'm still waiting for you to come and personally visit us. I know, you know, I've been scared to uh, to visit. You've, you've done your job well. But I was just gonna tell you, guess what is probably gonna happen this fall is I think I'm going to be there because um, I, I'm, I'm gonna be in Niles for another activity. So um, looking forward to being there. Now, now telling everybody, where is Niles? Niles is in the southwest corner of the state of Michigan. I mean, we are as low and as you can go south and as far west as you can go. We're about uh, 15 minutes from South Bend and Notre Dame. Yes, very good. And, of course, the getting to the uh, house and all the other attractions, not difficult. Um, basically, 94 to where? Uh, that we call it the 31 bypass. Oh, true. Yeah. And, and in this day and age, if you know people just go to their phone and say, "Hey, Niles Green Park," That's they'll get correct. there. And go to the website too. That website is haunted.org. Haunted.org, the best haunted house website in the world. Uh, Pete Karlowitz, thank you for joining us today. Make sure to uh, head to the Niles Scream Park this season. You're going to have a great time. And uh, we're going to talk about the Autolf 
Garden in Detroit next. So stick around right here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm so excited about uh, our next guest and what we're going to talk about uh, next because recently I was visiting Detroit and I had the opportunity to go to Belle Isle. I had heard about the Odolph Garden, and I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, and our guest will correct that, but it's a new garden at Belle Isle in Detroit, and this thing has been in the works for a long time. It is really something special. And, and I'll tell you, as excited as I was to see it, I was still surprised at the scope, the size, and the setting. It's truly pretty cool. So let's find out more about the Adolf Garden Detroit by bringing in Maura Campbell. She's one of the founders of this really cool thing. Uh, Maura, I, I can't wait to hear more. Tell us about the Adolf Garden, how it came to be, and how it came to be in Detroit. Thanks, Dave. If any of your listeners have been, and I'm sure many have, to either the High Line in New York City or Lurie Garden in uh, Millennium Park in Chicago, they have seen the work of Pete Aldolf. And you can pronounce his name either Aldolf or Uldolf. Um, but his first name is Pete, even though it's spelled P-I-E-T. It's Pete. Anyway, he is considered by many to be the premier garden designer, garden artist, plantsman in the world today. His gardens are very famous. He's very highly in demand. And we have been so fortunate to have been able to attract him to Detroit. Right now, we're getting ready for more people to see the beautiful garden you saw. It's a 2.5 acre garden. It has like 32,000 plants, grasses, trees, shrubs, and then you add another layer with about 40, uh, I think it's 48,000 bulbs on top of that. And the way we attracted Pete was, I belong to a garden club, I know lots of people do, and we had envisioned doing a garden on Belle Isle. Um, we had a long history on Belle Isle, and we wanted to make sure we did something that not only we could enjoy today, but would be there in the future. And we went through lots of work trying to get a hold of Pete when we decided that he was the right person. Um, I didn't know who he was until a fellow uh, founder of our garden, Gene Hudson, told me. And ultimately, we ended up getting a hold of the filmmaker doing a film about him, who was very encouraging to me. Uh, and as a result of that conversation, three of us uh, signed our names to a letter for a packet that we put in the mail and sent to Pete's home in Hummelow, Netherlands. And the first line of the letter was, this is a love letter from Detroit. And that was the beginning of this garden. Well, that certainly, I'm sure, caught his eye and caught his attention. And like many, he probably thought, really, a big garden in Detroit? Um, <laughs> all right, I'll go check it out. And I know you brought him to Detroit, and I understand he really loved Detroit. Oh, my gosh. He goes everywhere in the world and talks about Detroit, seriously. Um, every interview he gets gives when he's talking about his latest work, his latest gardens, what he's doing, he talks about Detroit. Um, he did it twice on PBS NewsHour. Um, so 
he truly came here and felt a real kinship with the city, fell in love with the people, um, loves the architecture, the energy, the grittiness, because we showed him everything. You know, we took him down Michigan Avenue from <laughs> from the airport instead of taking the highway. We wanted him to get a real feel of the city. And then he picked the spot for the garden. Literally, we showed him all of these potential sites and he wanted to go back to Belle Isle. We had about 20 minutes um, extra time in his schedule. And when we got to the site of the garden, he said, stop the car here. Here is where my garden should go. Well, you know, sometimes they just seem to just know just by... Um keeping an eye on things and just keeping an open mind at the same time. And, it, you know, as I look at that that land, now that the gardens are there, I have to say it is the perfect spot. You can just stand there and kind of look all around, and you see something interesting everywhere you go. And then if you look down, of course, there's the beautiful garden. And as you say, it's a couple of acres. I mean, it's pretty pretty expansive. It is. It's, it's 2.5 acres. And then we have plans to do a wetlands garden next year that he will design, which is the land, the low land surrounding the Nancy Brown Peace Carillon. Um, right now we have the rain garden and the main gardens pretty much completed. It's actually been a great thing for Michigan growers of some of the plants that Pete uses because 90% of the plants in the garden um, are from Michigan growers. Now you had to... Um you know, you found the space, but I believe you, you kind of lifted all that property up because of low water tables. We did. We started with, um, you know, first of all, he's a Dutchman, so he knows something about working yeah. <laughs> in a country, you know, that's below sea level. So water doesn't deter him. But remember, two years ago, there was the high water mark for the entire Great Lakes Basin. And we did the, uh, you know, shovel in the ground to start installing the garden in June 2019 and a month later most of that area was underwater so we went back to the drawing board literally Pete did a third design for the garden it's the best one of all of them um, but it, it, it made we had to also raise the entire site up three feet so that it would withstand any future flooding mm -hmm. and so it took a little bit more time and we had to raise more money because Thank you. You know, I, I, I just love the way, you know, the gardens, of course, are beautiful, but the way you lifted it up and you have that kind of stone um, kind of edging. All the retaining around, wall. Yeah. The retaining wall. It's really beautiful. And I think it just adds to the overall effect as you arrive. Right. And, and you're, you know, again, listeners can go on our website and we have drone footage. We uh, tell you what's, what's in bloom right now in the garden. Uh, they can sponsor a plant if they want to give um, a sponsor some of the plants that are in the garden in memory of somebody, in tribute to somebody for a birthday. Uh, we also teach people about the plants. There's pronunciation guides. Pete says it's the best website of any of his gardens in terms of, and it's also mobile. So the idea is that people can go to the garden, use the QR code, and they can actually zero in on that section of the garden that they'd like to learn more about. I was so impressed with that. Is uh, I'll repeat it later, but it's odolfgardendetroit.org. That's O-U-D-O-L-F gardendetroit.org. 
check that out because you mentioned the drone. The drone was there the day that I was visiting. Uh -huh. And I understand you update that like every week. We do. Uh, because this is such a historic garden in a lot of ways, uh, because it's all volunteers who've done this. We hired the contractors that we needed to do, but we actually had to get permission through people in the city, um, definitely through the DNR. People like Ron Olson have been really helpful, but it... It, there were lots of pieces. You know that you work in the that intersection between the private and the public sectors, and this is a garden in a park owned by the city, but run as a state park. Well, so the, uh, the official opening um, it, it, August twenty eighth. But the nice thing is, um, you can see it any time right now that the park is open. Uh, so you have to have that Michigan State passport, which I hope everybody has anyway in your car, and then go check it out. Uh, you are going to really love it. And the thing is, as you mentioned, Maura, it changes constantly. It's it always does. changing. And I love that. It's, it's really, you know, my husband, who's an art historian, talks about uh, the more classical garden is at the conservatory. And then you walk across into our garden and you're kind of in the impressionist movement <laughs> in terms right. of art. Right. So, but it's, it's truly beautiful. And I think people are going to really enjoy visiting. Well, and, and of course it's, it, uh, it just didn't happen by chance. It took a lot of volunteers, a lot of work, a lot of fundraising. And I know you're always looking for funds. So And people sure can go to the website and we welcome all donations. I bet you do. So that website again, it is aldolfgardendetroit.org. That's spelled O-U-D-O-L-F GardenDetroit.org. I do recommend you go there. Um, you know, we've all, you know, because of COVID, we went through all these big challenges. A lot of people have been kind of storing cash. So maybe maybe throw a little bit toward this beautiful project. Go to that website. And uh, our thanks to Mara Campbell for all the volunteers who have put in all this work for the Adolf Garden Detroit. Check it out soon. You're just going to love it. I tell you what else you're going to love. Our events, they're coming back all over the place. It's great to see our events, including our beer festivals. We'll tell you more about that next year on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Uh, I know I and all of my friends have sure been enjoying getting out this summer, uh, you know, just doing a lot of things, going to special events, sometimes just getting out to a local restaurant. And I mean, by getting out, often that means getting outside these days. If there's anything that could be called good that came out of COVID. I think it might have been that we've learned that we can uh, do a lot of things outdoors uh, in addition to enjoying camping and hiking and biking and all that. We can also now often eat and uh, maybe imbibe outside at our restaurants and bars because of some changes in policies and procedures in many of our towns. Let's talk about that now with Scott Graham. He is the director of the Michigan Beer Guild. And Scott, uh, it's kind of exciting, isn't it, that we have these social districts uh, that are popping up all over the state. And um, we can now sample our Michigan craft beer, often while sitting outside with friends. Yeah, I think the social districts are an interesting development. And like you mentioned, we've seen a, a lot of different and creative 
um, outdoor service areas that are either new or expanded um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of that will be here to stay um, but it, it does create new and different opportunities and I know I've enjoyed being outside some and um, they were creative in the winter time as well uh, and so I think we'll see some more of that this fall um, continue more than likely yeah, I'm hoping so. I have uh, also noticed some of those creative ways that uh, we've been able to continue to go to restaurants and, and pubs and such. So we shall see. You know, I was I was so impressed that uh, so many of our businesses just kind of hung through this last year, somehow made it through in a very difficult environment. Um, most of our craft beer locations seem to have done pretty well. Uh, has I guess it's relative. They may not have done pretty well, but very few have closed. I'm happy to report, um, and I'm I'm hoping that we can continue to move forward because the rebuilding process is going to take a while, and it certainly was a mixed bag. Uh, e even for those breweries who maybe saw an increase in sales um, at grocery stores or party stores they had to forego all of their sales at bars and restaurants. So, you know, I think the relatively good scenario was one that was would normally be pretty mediocre. And then there, I think there are a lot of people that have really been able to hang on um, through creativity and, and making adjustments and also um, by hanging on to the lifeline from the federal government with some of the support that was available there. But it, it is great that almost everybody has made it through. Um, it, it's interesting, you, you think you're sort of getting back to normal and of course there continue to be supply chain, chain challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, cans has been a big issue that folks may have heard about. I talked to somebody recently who the products that they needed were available uh, but they couldn't get a truck to deliver them on the normal time frame. Oh. So ev everything's a little bit different and everything's a challenge. Um, but I'm optimistic that things are moving in the right direction and we'll continue to persevere. Yeah, and I think that this has been uh, an experience of perseverance and resiliency and, and imagination all at the same time. Um, you know, it, the other thing that's been interesting about this craft beer scene, yeah, of course, everybody knows Michigan's been on a roll. We've been building and building in this category of business and activity for years. And even during COVID, Scott, I noticed a couple of new openings. Uh, I was really surprised to see that, that uh, even in this challenging environment, we still have these entrepreneurs who are doing the best to, to open up their, their new places. Yeah, I, uh, I admire them for that. What a challenging environment to, to open in. But we had a number of new breweries join. I think part of it was... Uh, that many folks were so far into it, uh, they were maybe in, you know, too far along with their plans to decide that they mm. were just going to pull the plug, um, and so they they plowed forward and are making a go of it. And uh, other folks continued to plan as well because we've had a, a stream of new members even even this year, which would have had to be, um, you know, not as far advanced with their plans all through the pandemic. Well, how many how many members does the Michigan uh, Beer Guild have right now? About three hundred. Wow. Um, 
which is really terrific, and it, it it's a, it's a good a really good membership. Of course, our other membership types are uh, allied businesses, and we have a fun membership for individuals, uh, enthusiast membership, um, which. Uh, gets benefits at, at festivals as we get back to festivals uh, enthusiast members get in an hour before uh, general admission and so that that's something that's really fun kind of VIP access for them to some of their favorite beers or unusual beers that might be hard to get to yeah well you know everybody has heard um, the brands founders and bells and shorts and a few others I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a little hint of maybe some, you know, relatively new places or lesser known places. Give us some suggestions for places to consider as we travel around Michigan this summer and into the fall. Sure. Uh, a couple of breweries that have opened this year uh, that come to mind. One is uh, in Detroit. Detroit itself and its Saucy Brew Works. And this is uh, an expansion of a com an existing company. Um, in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if you're on the southwest side of the state, um, you might try Coopersville Brewing Company, which uh, opened fairly recently in Coopersville, which is just a little bit uh, west of Grand Rapids. Uh, if you're in Marquette, uh, a brewery that they've been open for a little while, but um, it's an interesting brewery as it's a cooperatively owned, so it's a co-op brewery, which um, is a, a little bit unusual, but it's called Drifa, D-R-I-F-A, Drifa Brewing Company uh, in Marquette. So those are at least some suggestions. You can always go to our website and look at the map as well. You know, I've um, this last year, I've been trying to actually deliberately go to businesses, especially restaurants and pubs and such that are minority owned, just to see how it's going and to support them. And um, went to a, a really cool uh, little place in Ypsilanti, uh, checked out an, uh, a place in, I think, Comstock Park that has just women brewers. I thought that was unique. So, you know, there there are those those businesses, kind of those new businesses popping up. This seems to be the type of business that truly is available to just about anybody with a, a skill and an interest. Uh, seems like it's, it's, it's being um, entered by people of all types. Uh, I like to think so, but it's something that... Uh is a broad topic of conversation across the industry to try and be more welcoming and inclusive. Um, I feel like it, it's been a, a pretty open group, but but I know that there are efforts on a national level. Uh, last year, our Brewers Guild created a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee so that we had some folks, um, you know, focused on these issues and talking about how we. Uh, might be more welcoming or might be more inclusive. So it, it is a big subject, and I, I hope that we can continue to do a better and better job making everybody feel welcome. Uh, I, I think everybody would like to see any type of consumer in their brewery, as long as they're friendly and nice. Yeah, amen to that. And, you know, the whole industry is trying to really break out and, and you know, actively try to be uh, more inviting to everyone. So happy to see that's happening in the, the craft brewing business as well. Um, you have a couple big events coming up. We only have a couple more minutes, so we better get to those. I know your, your UP Beer Festival is coming up pretty soon. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to talk about having an event instead of talk about not having yeah. one. So our annual UP Fall Beer Festival is scheduled for September 11th in Marquette, and it's at the um, Matson Park, uh, the 
locally referred to as the Lower Harbor Park, but it's right next to the water. It's a beautiful setting. Um, we're going to have a great group of breweries, and I, I think people are really going to be uh, happy and excited to be back together. I think and, you're right. And yeah. we're also, um, yep, we're planning to follow that up in October with our annual Detroit Fall Beer Festival, which is scheduled for October 23rd, and that takes place at the Eastern Market, uh, more specifically at the north end of the Eastern Market. So um, there's a lot of excitement over that as well. Um, and Hopefully we don't run into any trouble, but we're we're planning to make those events happen. Yeah, cross our fingers that we can enjoy those things with you. And um, one last thing, uh, I know you, you have a, a benefit um, golf outing coming up at uh, Treetops in Gaylord. When's that going to be? Uh, the golf outing is scheduled for October 9th, and um, it, it is a, a fundraiser for... Our Brewers Guild, and it should be a fun outing as well. And there's some additional um, overnight accommodations and additional golf available. So you can find details uh, about any of the festivals, purchase tickets, sign up for sponsorship or participation in the golf outing all at our website at mibeer.com. That is mibeer.com and I tell you any day on the golf course at Treetops and Gaylord is a, a great one. And they're big supporters of uh, Michigan craft beer so great place that you're going to have that. For more information just go to mibeer.com and our thanks to Scott Graham from the Michigan Beer Guild for being with us today. We're going to check out Fire Dancer Next, here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. We've been so happy to see those events come back all over the state. And um, like our beer events, for instance, uh, I've been uh, trying to get to as many festivals as I can this this last uh, couple of months, simply just to kind of show support, if nothing else, but also because I missed them so much last year. You know, if you really think about it, what did we most miss about last year? For most people, that was friends and family being able to get together, but also this uh, this ability that we normally have to communally gather to get together as a community that's what festivals and special events are all about and and so for our final guest of the program today we're going to talk uh, to a performer who is used to getting out to uh, several of these events uh, doing her very unique dance and uh, I can't wait to get into this because this is really different let's bring in Nat now, Nat, how do you pronounce your last name for as as you perform your performer's name? It, my performance name is Nat Spins with a Z. Nat, Nat Spins, as in spinning all over the place, which, uh, from what I understand, you do a lot of. So, Nat Spins is a performer with the group called Flames and Dames, and and um, that alone sounds a little provocative. So, you're gonna. <laughs> have to help get me out of trouble right now. So flames and dames. So explain this. What do you guys do? So flames and dames is an all female fire performance group, and we are from the Lansing area. Um, we got our start uh, several years ago. Um, so, so kind of to give you an idea of what fire dancing is. I mean, you're not like doing the cha cha with with a flame or anything. So, <laughs> so imagine a hula hoop. 
that has several spokes sticking out the side. So my hula hoop has five spokes that stick out with these little marshmallow things on the ends of them. And I light those on fire and I perform and I dance with uh, basically a flaming hula hoop. Okay. Um, um, so yeah. uh, two things. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, number one, uh, crazy. So <laughs> just that sounds pretty crazy. So secondarily, uh, I mean, how, how do you get started being a, a flame dancer? I mean, what's your background? Okay, so I've been hula hoop dancing for about five years now. It was five years in June. And as a, as a hula hoop dancer, I started wanting to reach out to see if there were other people in my area that do it as well. And, and sure enough, there was. And I connected with a group of hoop dancers at a flow jam. It's called a flow jam where we get together and, and we share our tricks and we teach each other things and we, we dance with our hula hoops and all oh, that. Okay. Um, and this was in East Lansing, hosted by Lansing Hoops, uh, Missy Cook. Wow. And um, I made some friends there who also knew about this other group in Detroit called the Detroit Fire Collective that trained people how to become safely, uh, if that makes any sense at all, yeah. safely become a fire dancer. And so we took a field trip out there and we went through our fire safety courses and they taught us, they taught us how to do it as safely as you can while spinning fire. I don't know what I was envisioning when I first um, heard the name and heard what this was. Actually, I do. And, and, I, and I kind of thought of literally like fire departments, like maybe you do some special performances to benefit fire departments or something like that. That's how off the mark I was. So, so you, there, are, there are individual dance groups, a few of them around the state that, that gather, and this is kind of a specialty or is this exclusively what they do? So we actually, we perform, uh, you're talking about the group, like yeah, do we perform with any other things? Yeah. Okay. So um, we all do fire performances, but we come from, all of us come from a dance background of some kind okay. or another. Okay. All right. Got so, it. so yes, we do offer LED performances. So any of the props that you see that, that we light at our, our fire dancing demonstrations, we also have props that, that light up. And they have patterns and things when we dance. So uh -huh. we can do like a safe indoor performance. Got as it. Well. I was just going to say yeah. definitely preferred for indoors or in dry occasions, even outdoors. So, yes, so you absolutely. have the, the, the LADs. And then uh, when uh, you can outdoors at special events, you really light these things up. And so, so is this then a group at a time or are these individuals that come in and do various performances? Do you all kind of light these things and have several of you out there at one time? So, so yes and no. So it depends on the setting. So normally it is us three. So flames and dames, it is the core three of us. I'm Nat spins. And then there's Anna Fay and Paige Marie. And we all come into the group with our, we each come in with different props and we all have a different type of dance style. Um, now um, each performer that goes up needs to have a safety person watching them. So mm. if it's just us three, we have our performances running like a well-oiled machine. So while one person is up spinning fire and performing and dancing for our audience, there is somebody on the sidelines with a safety blanket watching to make sure that 
everything is going smoothly and Good they're idea. not lighting themselves on fire. Yeah. And then someone else is fueling up for their performance, which will be immediately afterwards. Um, so there are occasions where we will have more than one performer up at a time if we have extra safety people there. So this this is kind of, I guess, I'm imagining kind of like those Hawaiian dances that, that we all saw, you know, years ago. And I think they still do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Flames, similar to that. Yes. Yes, actually, I spin poi. So they're, they're these little fireballs on a string. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that might be what you're thinking yeah, of. Or um, like, yes, yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, and, and this is, uh, of course, you're using these fire retardant uh, rings to, uh, to, to do your performance. And you're, you're going out to various places. So I know you've had a couple of performances this, this season already. Uh, I understand yes. you are about to uh, perform uh, very soon. Is it in Charlotte? Yes. So the there is what's called the Charlotte Fire Flow Jam ser- series, which hmm. I started about four years ago, uh, and the Flames and Dames kind of grew from that. Um, so once a month throughout the summer, or as early as we can in the year with our Michigan weather, um, we host what's called a Fire Flow Jam. It's free to the public. We encourage people to bring their camping chairs out so they can, and they're, it's kid-friendly and dog-friendly, and they can come out and watch the show. Um, it's at the old courthouse in Charlotte, that big red building right in the middle of town. Yeah. Uh, right on their front lawn there. And, um, yeah, we now, perform is this, out there. And them. you do this during the day, or is it uh, during the evening, or whenever oh, possible? Oh, yes. It's in the evening from 9 to 10, so you can see the fire a lot better at Much night. more dramatic. I'm sure it, I'm right, sure it is. Right, exactly. All right. What's the date of that event again? Okay, so we've had um, several dates, but we have one more coming up in September. That's on September 17th at 9 p.m. The 17th, 9 p.m., downtown Charlotte. You'll be able to see the Flames in Dames perform uh, a, a fully aflame. Uh, to your uh, 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 pleasure, and I still, I just, I'm trying to imagine how this got to be, and it, it must be a bit dangerous. I'm sure you've you've had a couple of of of, uh, of challenges over the years learning how to do this. Yes, it is definitely something that um, we don't take lightly. We yeah. take our safety precautions very seriously, and we try to um, preface it with "Do not try this at home." Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> do not try this. We've all been doing this for several years. And we've had the proper training and everything. Oh, that's great. Um, but, but yes, I, I, I do have to wear a safety sleeve when I'm performing with my hula yeah, hoop because bet. I've gotten my arm a couple of times. Yeah, so. I bet you do. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. um, I, your website looks like you have uh, some information on this. And uh, if you want to learn more, maybe you want to learn how to dance and such as well, make sure yes. to go to Nat's uh, a website. It is Flames N Dames. That's the, the letter N. Flames N Dames. And our thanks to Nat Spins from Flames and Danes for being with us today. And wouldn't you know, that's all the time we have for Travel Michigan for this week. So we'll talk to you next week right here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling.